Hello, and welcome to the Measure Up podcast, a show dedicated to helping marketers and analytics professionals know what's working, what's not, and how to measure it all. I'm your host, Jim Genulio. Listen along as I talk to people just like you who are dealing with the marketing measurement challenges in today's world and learn best practices, tips, and actionable advice. Welcome, dear listeners, to the Measure Up podcast. Over the last few episodes, we've talked a lot about marketing mix modeling and incrementality testing to better understand how your marketing dollars are performing. But one thing that can completely wreck MMM or experimentation is bad data or the wrong data or the lack of data. Of course, we've all heard uh, the quote from British mathematician Clive Humby, who declared all the way back in 2006 that data is the new oil. Um, But who are these roustabouts and roughnecks working these new age oil rigs? And where do we find them? And how do we organize them? Fortunately, I'm joined today by someone who has built data teams from the ground up. He grew the digital intelligence team at Debbie Promote from zero to more than 50. And is doing the same thing right now at Ignite Visibility, where he is the chief data officer. Now, don't be fooled with a title like chief data officer, you might think he's an Excel junkie who knows numbers, but not marketing, but that couldn't be further from the truth. He is a marketer at heart. One of those rare breeds who's able to speak to CMOs, CFOs, analysts, and marketers. He has more than a decade of experience working with brands like NBC and Whirlpool to help them connect the marketing dots and focus on metrics that matter. Welcome to the Measure Up podcast, Simon Poulton. Wow. Uh, Jim, what an introduction. Uh, I, I've listened to all the previous episodes that you've done, and your introduction is just on point. Uh, if marketing doesn't work out for you, I think you've got a professional career in obituary writing uh, coming your way, or maybe uh, you know speech introduction <laughs> writing, but that was just phenomenal. But no, I, thank you so much for having me on here. I'm, uh, I guess, I don't know, I'm a, I'm a long-time listener, first-time caller, but it's, uh, it's, it's, great. it's great to be here. Awesome. And it's so funny that you mentioned obituary writing. I actually did write obituaries before I ever got into digital marketing. Yeah, I was was an editorial assistant at a newspaper and uh, I got to type up the obituaries. um, That's amazing. That's where you honed your skill. Um, It's it's these origin stories that are key. Well, and, and following on from that, I went from obituary writing to at the same newspaper, um, building out a, 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 marketing agency in-house uh, where they did kind of everything from like website design to TV commercials and radio and PR and everything else. And so I did voiceovers for commercials too. So that's where I'm kind of oh, pulling awesome. out my 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 old uh, voiceover commercial acting uh, talents from that. So. I love it. Oh, <laughs> that's, that, that's what I thought you were going to say. You uh, built out a, a, a data and analytics team uh, for, for, for the newspaper. And I was like, oh, great. Well, <laughs> hey, I'll, I'll ask the questions today. You, you can give us the responses, but no, that, that that's awesome. Oh yeah, no, it's, it's funny that you like you hit on like the two things that like no one else. I don't think ever I've ever <laughs> told anyone else that. So you, you got interesting. It um, hey, how about that? So if digital teams doesn't work out for you, building data teams, you know you can you can <laughs> flip the mic and, and start podcasting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll start podcasting. So uh, this is off to awesome. a great start. I love this. It this is. is. This is fantastic, Simon. Uh, I know a lot about you. I know we've uh, we go back quite a year, a few years. Uh, I think the first time we met was working on the Measure Camp North America uh, right. Conference Planning Committee. Um, but uh, for the listeners out there who aren't familiar with you, it's hard to believe uh, because you are all over <laughs> social media. No. Uh, tell a little bit about you know how you got to where you are right now and some of the fun work you're doing now with uh, Ignite Visibility. Sure. Well, it all begins back in the 80s. Uh, no, I'm not going to take us all the way back there. But um, for uh, those listeners who who are using maybe a, a 1.2x speed, you might want to sw- shift down to one because I have a bit of an accent. I'm from New Zealand originally. Uh, so I, I grew up in New Zealand, um, moved, moved around. Uh, my father worked for, for in New Zealand, so we, so we moved around the world quite, quite a bit. Um, and I think my first foray into digital marketing was actually around the, around the age of 13. All my friends would go to the internet cafes on weekends and uh, they would play, you know, video games like Counter-Strike. And I would sit there in the corner and I would build websites. Uh, and it was the, the nerdiest thing I could possibly be doing. But it was so much fun. And I I started just learning all about how to um, b- both obviously construct a website uh, t- technically, but also how to think about um, sharing information uh, more broadly and really thinking about the 
and utility of the internet. Uh, so, so from there, I went on to, uh, obviously, I, I moved here to the United States. I uh, went to college where I studied psychology and statistics and really started to think about, well, what blends my, my love of technology, my love of psychology, and, and my love of numbers? Uh, and ultimately, I, I fell into the, into the world of software. You know, I live in California. It's, uh, it's, it's not too hard to just walk down the street and be like, hey, it's a software company I'm going to go work at. So I, I joined a software company out of college, and honestly, it was probably the greatest title I've ever had in my life. The title was Problem Solver. And one <laughs> day, I hope to ascend the ranks once again to reach that level, because that title really gave me this uh, open opportunity to go out into our marketing department and, and start to figure out what are the core challenges that we're facing. And ultimately, a lot of them came down to more technical challenges. So I, so I really started to cut my teeth on uh, building out marketing automation solutions within the organization. So, you know, it was sort of like the inbound wave was really hot at the time. And uh, about six to nine months into this this role, uh, you know, fresh out of college, uh, I had the entrepreneurial mindset of, we don't have a digital marketing team. I want to start this. And and I look back on that and go, the audacity of that 22-year-old to think he can start this team within his organization. And I had an amazing boss at the time who uh, really helped coach me along and said, yeah, let's let's try it. Let's have you lead our digital marketing team. And you know, I, I had a lot of uh, core skills here. wasn't quite as as, as uh, I guess honed as I needed to be, and so I started building out these functions. Eventually, I went over to W Promote as a uh, account manager. So I was actually more on the CS side of, of of the house. I was always a I guess a, a data leaning digital marketer rather than the other way around. Uh, and and a few years into that role, I uh, I was working with some of these really big clients, and I noticed every one of my conversations is almost always coming back to data. And there was one day in particular where I was sitting in the office of uh, the, the CEO of this really, really large company, and they actually had their analytics agency, and they're presenting on uh, omni-channel strategy and basically the value of omni-channel consumers. And I was like, this is so interesting, and there were so many graphs, and it was just it, it was just so compelling to me. And I look over, and the CEO, and he's just sitting there on his phone scrolling, and <laughs> I, in my head, I'm going, what is the disconnect? What, like... This should be the most important meeting you take, not just today, this week, right? Like this is a, not only is this so interesting, but it is a meeting that ultimately could yield significant value for you in terms of revenue. And I realized that moment in time that there was a fundamental disconnect in the, in the analytics space. And that is, yes, we talk about, you know, analytical storytelling, those kind of things, but really a lot of the time uh, uh, folks in the analytics space are presenting like they need to present to other folks in the analytics space. It's almost like, Anytime I present something, I have to prepare just in case there's a, a you know a PhD, an econometrics PhD in the room, and they're going to quiz me on the ins and outs of how this thing works. And and really, the core idea is being relational with your audience. So that was the that was the sort of that, that the catalyst moment there that allowed me to then go back to my uh, my, my leadership W Promote and say. I think we need to start an analytics team, but not like these analytics teams that I'm seeing out there. I think we need to start it through the lens of account management. So it was really this hybrid idea of data through the lens of, of client services and account management. Uh, and that was the that was sort of the, the catalytic moment. We, we built we built our team out there. And, you know, all along, I've, I've been so fortunate to just have so many amazing folks around me in the community and, you know, a measure slack helping guide me along the way. And um, I don't know if any of us has a, have a traditional approach to this, but that's mine. Uh, and, and sort of how I how I got to where I am today, obviously, several years later, um, we had a, we had a, a successful exit there. And uh, I'm just very humbled and, and, and gracious for the opportunity to now uh, take the data reins here at Ignite Visibility and quite honestly, prove to myself that I can do it all over again. You know, if uh, if you if you build out right. a data team once, hey, maybe it was a fluke, maybe you rode the right way, but if you can do it twice, there's probably something pretty special about that moment and, and you've probably got a good uh, a good recipe for success. Hey, two points make a trend, right? There you go. Yeah, exactly. Or is it, or is it three points? I can't remember. I, I'm going to go with two. Uh, three points makes a, a long time. To, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I, I know uh, I, I've, I already have come to the conclusion that, that you're going to be successful because I know you and uh, know the kind of person you are. So uh, um, I'm, I'm forecasting a, uh, you know, a dot that's up and to the right for you. So uh, oh, wonderful. Just, I'm just excited to, to get to watch it here firsthand. Um, <laughs> that's amazing. So like one of the things you mentioned too is like data teams presenting to someone who's not a data person and like- yeah you know just knowing the mismatch of of the audience and being able to speak to different audiences and i feel like you know that's something that is uncommon right like the the data analyst who can speak to the business stakeholder and understand mm -hmm. the business problems from a non-data lens um it does require a little bit more training and more curiosity from the analyst right mm -hmm. it can't just be like yeah 
I know numbers and I do numbers and I know statistics and data science and like you gotta have more curiosity and and understand Absolutely. the business and all the other things that are impacting it. I, I I mean I think a lot of it comes down to just being inherently interested and curious, but it it is really being practical practical about how you think the about the diversification of your skill set. And I know you know your background. You you came you started an SEO and you started to to, to build up on on that journey. I. Also, really, when I, you know, as a problem solver, one of the first issues I started to look at was the SEO challenges that we were facing as an organization. And then I, you know, slowly from there said, well, we're also facing some paid media challenges and we're also facing some email challenges. And, you know, it all started to, to, to blend together. But along that way, one of the things that I was doing was I was regularly meeting with the head of HR and our CFO. Uh, not that they had necessarily anything to do with exactly what I was doing at that moment in time, but I wanted to understand how they think. And why they think the way that they do. And, and, you know, before I was even spending any large sums of money, I really wanted to get a pulse on how the CFO was looking at the, at the marketing department, right? It's, I think, historically always one of those uh, somewhat adversarial relationships where it's like, well, you're not going to get this much budget next quarter or, you know, like, uh, if you don't use it, you lose it. I'm like, that's a, that's a, it's a semi-toxic mindset, right? I, I think th- this idea of distributing across an organization, CFOs have to make hard decisions, of course, but I think if we can approach it with a, a greater degree of empathy uh, and better understanding what decisions and why need to be made, you can then present to them in their terms. And that was always something that I, I've looked at through my life and said, the more I can diversify my subject matter domain expertise, um, and you know, I've, I've always been warned, like, don't be a jack of all trades. I'm like, there's value in that. There's value in cursory knowledge. The key part is knowing when to pull back from going too deep into a subject and also being strategic about it, right? I'm not going to go and I don't know, dive into the ins and outs of janitorial services, even though there's a lot of value to it. It's not ultimately <laughs> something that I think is going to uh, interact with with my career moving forward. So it's basically trying to anticipate what uh, what stakeholders may come into my purview in the future and ultimately who will help control the destiny of both my career and the team that I'm looking to build. Yeah, absolutely. Um yeah, janitorial services. Maybe if you need some data cleaning, I don't know if they can help out <laughs> with that. Right. Maybe we, you want a clean room. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> clean. Oh, <laughs> I missed the obvious. You, you, uh, we always we always used to refer to ourselves as uh, plumbers, right? The data plumbers uh, yeah. back in the back in the good old Lunametrics days. Um, Absolutely. We like hooking up the data pipes and and getting the data flowing through, um, which you know it was yeah. somewhat derogatory because we were always trying to do more of the highbrow analysis the smart stuff but you know so, but people need plumbers i think of that as being an electric yeah i think there are plumbers and electricians and i'm a general contractor right like i there think you, 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 you can't build a house with just a plumber you can't build a house with just a carpenter you need all these groups really working together and um i i i for what it's worth i've seen some amazing plumbing builds in my life and my my cousin's a plumber and he sh- he put some pictures on instagram that i was like that is amazing. The complexity of that design and the way that you've put these pipes together, it makes me think you'd probably do well with a career in informatics. Right. Uh, because, you know, when we talk about like data leakage, he's like, yeah, well, I deal with water leakage, which um, which, which one's worse? <laughs> I'm like, well, probably water leakage. Yeah, yeah. I, I could see, I could see yeah. that being worse in the long run. It, can, it leaves stains, you know, on the ceiling. It does, so, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, speaking foundations. of- yeah. Spe- speaking of uh, being a, con- I love this analogy. So being a contractor and trying to wrangle the the electrician and the plumber and the concrete person, the carpenter, and you have to yep, yep. manage the, this this team of people to achieve an outcome mm-hmm. similar to what you're doing right now, right? So absolutely. How do you, you know, how, what what does that process look like for building this team of experts in their own areas? Like, where do we go first? Do we do we start with uh, the the concrete guy, or do we go with the, mm-hmm. the the architect? And like, you know, there's a lot of planning and decisions that need to go yeah. into that. So let's let's maybe kick this off um, and talk about you know how this at a higher level how this all goes, right? So what are the stages of growing a data team? What does that look like? Yeah, I think I think when <clears throat> one thing I mentioned before. Was this idea of, of of the catalytic moment, and the catalytic moment may occur. Honestly, it may not be a single moment. There may be several, but generally speaking, there is going to be some uh, business need that is being backed into. Right there, there, there's something that is giving you the remit to start building out a data team, and I think that it, that really predicates the, the the scope of you know who you're going to be hiring first and 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 what that's going to look like. And oftentimes, it is perhaps an individual contributor who who comes in and they say. Oh, I've got experience, um, you know, 
tracking uh, ad- advertising conversions and or you know I, I've got experience working with Google Analytics uh, and, 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 you, and you go okay well that, that that's obviously one, one part of the whole here but w- what it really takes is better understanding the core business needs and and ultimately predicting where the business needs are going to go so when I think about that catalytic moment I think what is the core problem that we're trying to solve for right now building you know having having a resource that, that fits with that but then beyond that really thinking about bro- more broadly the vision and, and sort of as I was alluding to before thinking a couple steps ahead and, and I think it's very easy when you're starting something to uh, become very my- myopic and just really look down at your feet and go I just got to get this one thing right and you do you do have to get it right but the hardest part, I think, is when you get it right and you and you look up and you, and you go, well, where am I going to go now? And you don't have a plan to move forward. You may end up making some decisions that ultimately aren't in service of your future self. And so I, I do like to think more broadly in that capacity. So if we take back to if we go back to that, like the, the house analogy, there are sequential functions that need to occur. And, you know, if you go and get an electrician and you haven't put up the the beams of the house first, <laughs> right? They're like, where, where do I, where do I run the cables? Where, like, is is this going to be a wall or not? And and, and so there are these, these sort of you know, I guess functional hierarchy of needs that you have to assess as you go through this. So those needs are all, of course, predicated on on on, on what the business needs. But you also have to uh, connect with these folks as stakeholders and better understand as we build things out. What do you need? And I think one of the the greatest challenges I see with for a lot of organizations really is in the form of we're going to get our data pipes right. We're going to get all this into a good space, and then we're going to bring in a data analyst. And that whole thing is, it's not backwards, but the data analyst should have been involved from the very beginning because they're going to say, this is the type of data that I need. When we talk about the fact, the reality that, you know, these very well-paid data analysts and data scientists spend, I think of the last survey I saw was on our 60 to 70% of their time cleaning data. That breaks my heart because not only is that not an intellectually stimulating or, you know, it's not an intellectually engaging activity necessarily, but it also means that you've lost a lot of the potential yield for these really great minds because they are, again, working just on cleaning data. And that's now a process that you put in play that it's going to be very hard to retrofit in. So uh, to be mindful of your ultimate outcomes and to be a few steps ahead really helps you you know, design around that team. So I think as, as you know, you start growing that out, then you start to, you know, start to see, oh, should we replicate certain functions? How, how do we, uh, how, how do we move this forward in terms of what the core business needs are? And ultimately, are we going to be a cost center or are we going to be a value creation center? Are we going to be a revenue driving center? And that is where a lot of these teams struggle from a scale point of view, because we can afford you and we can afford maybe one other, but until you show any real revenue, we don't, we don't really have a plan for you. And it's like, oh, well, I kind of got into this to be a problem solver, and not necessarily to be a, you know, a financial wizard. And so that's a, that's a, that's a bit of a challenge, but what, what, what do you think? Yeah. I, I was just going to say like the, the, the value center, the, 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 whether you're a cost or you're providing value, right? There's a lot of things that go into that. Are you a data consultant, consulting agency, right? And you're building a data team, obviously then, you know, you're, you're um, providing value, right? You're billable hours. Mm-hmm. But right. if you're a company, if you're a, a Whirlpool or a, you know, in-house data team, the, you know, the CFO is looking at you like you're costing me, you know, $500,000 a year mm-hmm. in salary or a million or 2 million or 3 million a year in yeah. salary. What am I getting for that money? Like, you know, as, as someone who, uh, you know, has been recently laid off, that's top of mind for me, right? Like, Right. Am, I, am I billing hours? Am I making the company money or am I costing the company money? And so right. that's always like one of the things. So like, uh, or are you like, how do you fall down on that, uh, on that scale? But then from that, yeah, if it's, if it's the, if, if you're a, a cost, not a uh, revenue generator, then it's, you know, how can you provide, how I can improve the value that you're providing, right? Like how can we show yeah. that what we're doing is worthwhile and ultimately, yeah, they're making the company more money or saving them money. Right. Well, and, and I think the idea of having, um, it's almost, I, and perhaps I presented it in, in too much of a binary capacity, right? This idea of like you're either a cost center or or you you have value. Um, value isn't just du- a direct fiscal impact in, in the form of billable hours, right? We, we I think we, we intrinsically know this, um, but the challenge ultimately is that you may be one or two or even three or more steps removed from that 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 revenue chain, the, the, the actual fiscal chain. And so part of the the uh, scenario here and, and where I've uh, found success in my career is really creating an allyship with the leaders who do oversee the um, the actual revenue line. So, you know, if you're in a 
a digital marketing agency. Like I, I've, I've built up my, my career in that environment. Generally speaking, you know, there's a head of paid media, there'll be a head of earned media. And when you go and talk to them and you go, where are your real pain points as it pertains to data? And you'll start hearing these stories. Well, you know, it takes my team a week to do this type of report. And, you know, I can't staff against these types of accounts because it's just the, the, the data load is too much. And there's all these things going on. That relationship and having them be an advocate on your behalf, I think is so, so critical because this all comes back to what is the business formula you're trying to solve. They will help you make that proxy calculation to that revenue stream. And so what I've really found is that in at least in a digital marketing environment, there's really two core data streams associated with, with or sorry, two core revenue streams associated with data teams. The first is going to be this um, sort of passive, uh, non-direct uh, route, and that is enabling the foundations of the organization to to exist and ultimately minimizing time spent by other teams. So you can actually look at the actual calculation of if it saved this team 40%, this is how much money is being saved and therefore these are how many resources can be deployed in addition. And then the second is actually direct billable, but not in the form of billable hours, rather in the form of um, essentially measurement consulting, but really measurement maturity consulting. So this core idea of being a measurement ambassador, being able to go to a client and talk about, we want to improve your measurement maturity. We want to obviously think about what data we're collecting, but ultimately data collection is is not that sexy of a, of a play for most. I, I love it, but it, you know, a, a, lot of, a lot of folks will be like, oh, cool. Here's Simon talking about Google Tag Manager for an hour again. You know, it, <laughs> it, 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 but when it gets sexy, it's when you get to utility. It's when you get to enable and empower those decisions that do ultimately save money. And you know, I think that's why a lot of us are, are talking a lot about uh, you know, high velocity or agile media mix modeling right now is because, hey, that's directly tied to revenue streams. And if you can better optimize your, your, uh, you know, your, your paid media budgets and your, your investments, you uh, you look like a hero to the CFO. And so that's why I think we, we see a lot of folks leaning in there. But to get to that point is hard. You have to grow an organization. No one starts on day one going, we need an MMM. You know, I think we were joking uh, uh, offline last week. We're like, we're both sort of recovering MTA-aholics. Uh, <laughs> you know, like, hi, my name's Simon. It's been uh, six months since I've used a deterministic MTA and uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm clean and sober on MMM these days. I think, you know, that, <laughs> that process is hard. And so what you do need is a data strategist in addition to a uh, uh, you know a, an analytics engineer or you know data capture engineer in addition to a data analyst what brings those folks together in a hub and spoke model is a data strategist and they are the one who can connect with those business ideas so you can really set the home those skills with those sort of like every they have a lot of skills across the board here in analytics but really they are and uh, they're they're a client services account manager masquerading as a data person like that's the core cool value point there that is able to connect with those business leaders. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Um, I, I don't remember the first time I heard the whole cliche about like, hey, you know, eighty percent of a data scientist's time is spent, you know, cleaning data, managing yeah. data. Um, it was probably like maybe two thousand fifteen, two thousand sixteen, back when I went to school uh, mm-hmm. for to for data science, and um, I expected it to be solved by now, right? Like this should be something that can be automated <laughs> away, and it's like, nope, it's right. still the same. Like I, you know, marketing makes data projects Roomba is what we need, I think. A data Roomba, a, like a data Roomba, yeah, yeah just that automatically. <laughs> yeah. But then you know, you know, because I say that, and then I, I my Roomba was going around that, the house this morning, and you know what happened? I got one of my kids' socks in it, and oh, no. so drag the sock, <laughs> drag the sock around the living room, just collecting <laughs> dust and leaving it places. There are and worse things that could problem. have. There are there are worse things that could have dragged. Oh, there are, there are. Yeah. There was a whole big Lego set right beside that, and I'm like, thank God, my wife would have killed me. The floors would have been all kinds of scratched up. Ooh, um, yeah. But yeah, I know. Um, but no, it, it's one of those things though that 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 is the complexity that we face too. That right when we say like we expect it to be solved, by what means do we expect it to be solved? Because inevitably, one of the core components of data cleaning is business context and situational awareness, and you know, just being being aware of what type of cleaning needs to occur in this regard. Yeah, yeah. There, there is, there is just infinite amount of nuances and yeah, difficulties exactly. with data, and it's increasing and diversifying every single day. Like a new data right. set, a new platform, a new whatever. Like there's always going to be some new thing about that that's wrong, or it's not being tracked properly. Like, yeah, this. I, I mean, that, that's just. I feel like that's something something that's going to always be a problem. Is or not necessarily a problem. It's something that we always are going to have to deal with. Is is yeah, you know, data cleaning. It's part of the process of collecting, looking at it, you know, doing quality assurance, you know, verifying right. it, validating it, and then understanding the context and where it's coming from and the the data governance and all that, or the uh, data provenance and all that. So 
Um, and, and I do think you, you, you mitigate a decent amount of the uh, challenges associated with it by having a data analyst built in throughout the journey and having them be an active component of the architecture strategy that you're defining for here's what we're going to track, here's how we're going to track it, here's here the scope of the parameters. Um, it does take a little bit of extra time. And sometimes folks can feel like, why are there so many shifts in the kitchen today? And you're like, well, the reality is these are the waiters. Like these are the folks who are going to be delivering. So they need to know what's going on. Like you, you, you cook this amazing meal. You don't want them going out there being like, ah, there's no food in the kitchen today because they couldn't find it. Right. Like that, that's <laughs> what I love a good mixed analogy. So uh, <laughs> who knows where this goes? And then, and then the contractor comes in. And he's like, I've got the electrician here. Uh, <laughs> uh, ridiculous. Yes. Hey, it's Jim here with Quick Aside. If you're listening to this episode and enjoying it, I've got to tell you about the Mix It Up newsletter from MMM Hub. It's a free newsletter that provides resources on how to effectively measure your marketing. It includes helpful tutorials, cutting-edge tools, and relevant articles so readers can make smarter decisions with their marketing dollars. You can sign up today at mmmhub.org. Now back to the show. So so speaking of, you know, I think we're, we're making a good case for... Um, why we need multiple people on the data team, right? Like yeah. there's there, there, there are the chefs cooking the food. There are the waiters that need to serve it. They all need to be kind of communicating and coordinating mm -hmm. their efforts. Um, so I, I think it's pretty clear. Most people listening to this episode, this podcast are probably like in the same boat. Like un, we don't have to sell them on why you need a data team. Um, of course. But I'm sure there are some out there who are maybe in the beginning stages at their company and maybe they're like an early hire on the data team. Maybe they are the only person and, and they're doing what you did, um, you know, mm -hmm. where they're building out their data team. So what, um, you know, let's say they have this acute problem that they're trying to solve and maybe they even thought about the vision for the next couple of years out after they solve that problem and they know they're going to need, you know, several roles, but who's that first hire? Who, who's the, you know, who who's the person that you start with or do you, and how do you approach that? Right. Cause like, you know, I, I mm -hmm. actually think about this from a sort of business owner perspective where a sole consultancy and like, I have to reach a certain amount of billable hours consistently yeah. for this amount of time before I bring someone else on similar, similar thing here with the data, you know, building the data teams. Like, do you basically just do everything yourself until you kind of like understand the problems to be solved and then you bring someone on and, and who is that first person? What do they look like? What are your, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, well, I, th I think it depends on you and your individual skill set, right, in terms of where, where you lean in here. And so one of the examples I had at the top there was, well, I I was, I was love Google Analytics. Um, I still love Google Analytics despite all the challenges I think <laughs> is, you know, associated with GA4. Uh, but but that is really where I, I cut my teeth and was able to really lean into um, the, the – the utilization and business connection of this data. Where I found that my limitations were, though, ultimately were, hey, I can work in Google Tag Manager, I can do some very basic things, but ultimately, if I really want to take this to the next level, I need a very strong uh, data capture engineer, someone who is going to be a, a, a you know, very complementary in skill set. That was true for me. That's not necessarily true for everyone listening to this. It really, I think, depends on what your core skill set is. And being somewhat ruthless in your own sort of self-accountability and better just acknowledging where are my limits? Where are the areas that I need someone who is complimentary? I think one of the mistakes a lot of folks make is they go, I'm going to go and hire someone that looks just like me and can <laughs> you know, do all the same things as me. And you're like, great. So you've actually, you know, you, you, you replicated the function, um, but you haven't actually diversified the, the scope of, of, of delivery or, or what you need to do. And that works, you know, that works well for, I, I think, fairly narrowly defined uh, challenges. But when you're given this remit to go out and create that data team, inevitably, the long-term value of that team has to diversify into these other core areas of, of, of data. So, you know, we've got that cattle mode, that, that, that first hire. Then from there, really thinking about uh, how you're able to go out and I like to frame it as uh, doers, wooers, and gluers. So you got to think about uh, on your team who 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 is there to be like a doer and really like you know, get some of these functional things done. The wooers, these are the really the people who are, are out there evangelizing, telling that story, and ma making sure that everyone goes. By the way, this is valuable. We all agree this is valuable, right? Like like really make making sure that that use case is clear. And again, that is harder for us than it is for. Uh, you know, a paid search team where it's like, yeah, of course it's valuable. Look, look at this money. Right. Uh, it falls on my pocket when I jump. You're like, oh, that's great. I I, I wish we had that problem. Uh, <laughs> um, and then glue is are ultimately the folks who are going to be uh, helping stitch behind the scenes of like, great, we've got this thing now. And to make this even more valuable, let's bring it over here because so much of what we do in the data ecosystem does happen behind the scenes. 
And so much of it is predicated on this idea of sequential utilization. And so if you have that, 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 that scope, those three individuals, I think that is what ultimately makes the strongest data team from the outset is having a Dua, a Wua, and a Glua. Yeah, and I, so I, I'm trying to think about the terms that I might use like title-wise. I, I think I'm, I'm thinking like doers as far as like, um, you know, maybe like analytics engineers or data collection yeah, people, yeah. people who are in Google Tag Manager or uh, Adobe Tag Manager, things like that. You might have the the wooers are the sort of uh, account executives, account managers, yep. uh, client services, you know, client facing. Absolutely. They can kind of speak both languages. And then the, the the gluers being more of the kind of data engineering, a little bit more maybe like software engineering type. Well, I, I, I think there's an, a, there's an avenue for gluing there. Um, but I, I also think about it in terms of like, well, the analysts, like they're gluing the fact that we've got this data to some analysis that you're able to run and, and, and really make that valuable. Uh, but it, it is predicated on the scope of the environment because to, to your point, data engineers, like if they're sort of the octopus behind the scenes, you know, making everything run and, and everything. Absolutely. There's all these disparate data sources. I think the reality is you you will find in, in organizations, you have a lot of different types of doers and a lot of different types of gluers. Generally, wooers are going to be at the center of all that, trying to make sure that I understand everything that's going on around me and I will be your greatest advocate in this. And they really should be accountable to the folks around them to make sure that I'm showcasing the value that you are bringing to the table. I'm going to be your biggest advocate while also being hard on you to make sure that we're doing the right things and that we are just, you know, in, in investing in areas that are interesting but not useful. And that's always one of the big challenges that data teams, when they when they created, fall into is wouldn't it be cool if we could do this thing? And you're like, hold on, would it be cool because we're a group of nerds and we're sitting here thinking, yes, it would be cool. Or does it add business value? How far away are we from our original business context? And if our original business context is no longer mirroring what the current state of the team is, then we need to go out and find more business context. We need to go and have those conversations with the CFO or with our client leaders and, and better understand where are your cool pain points now and ultimately how are they evolving? And I think right now we're at this really interesting nexus in in data, which is, uh, I think maybe my, Michael Helbling or, or uh, maybe Tim Wilson uh, coined it, um, which is the the idea of the citizen data scientist. And I might I may be butchering the term of the citizen data scientist, but at its core, I think we are going through this sort of overarching democratization of data science acumen. And when you look at tools like GPT-4 uh, Code Interpreter, I look at that and go, that is amazing that folks with little to no statistical knowledge can go and run a forecast because they've got all this business context. And so we have to think about how are we empowering them, how are we bringing the data to them, and ultimately how are we uh, uh, able to, to you know help them tell those stories because they've got all this business context that we don't have as well. So that's also part of this now is like, is it as, are all these people on the data team or do you have allies in these other groups that are sort of like pseudo data people who, you know, they've they're always, I, I'm a paid search person for sure. And you're like, okay, yeah, but you're also a data person. Like, let's have you lean into this group and be one of our core allies. Yeah. And that, that's so tricky because I feel like you can find people on both sides of the spectrums, like, you know, someone who's on the paid search team who they just want to go in there into Google ads and set up their campaigns and exclude yeah. their keywords and do this and that and targeting and optimization and bid, bid adjustments and all that. And, you know, they, they don't want to do the data side or the analysis right. side outside of did this campaign work or not or did I get the clicks that I wanted or well you know like yeah there are others who are just like sort of naturally like I feel like I hate to say this is maybe like an age thing but I feel like younger people who are sort of just have grown up in this digital world tend mm. to be a little bit more okay with like understanding the data and and dealing with it I, I don't know if you've seen similar things or not. Yeah. Or people are just kind of stuck in their ways, you know, as they, as they, I know I get stuck in my ways as I get older. <laughs> and I'm very old. So, yeah, well, I, yeah, no, I, I think there is a degree of object fixity associated with it. Um, but I also think that regardless of your age or your tenure in the industry, that there, everyone will have a different catalytic moment to realize the importance of diversifying their skill set. And, and, and I'm a really big believer that you can teach an old dog new tricks. Like there, there are these opportunities. And so part of what I look to do is I go out and I meet with our paid media leadership and I have conversations around with, with, with them around, look, it's no secret that the levers that you have within your platforms are diminishing. You used to have all these bells and whistles and you could do it. You make all these changes and you guys were really highly, 
highly trained like nuclear technicians pressing all these buttons and like puzzles were going off and stuff. Now it's just it's now really, just Pmax. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then soon it's nothing. Soon it's just right. like here's some money, Google, make me money, and they go. Eh. Uh, no, it, it's it, yeah, it, but no, it, it's I, I feel it was Sergey Brin years ago. It was like Google search isn't complete until we we can predict exactly what's going to be searched. And it's like, all right, so yeah, like Google wants to reach that point. But even right now, though, there really is there, there's still you know a measurement lever, a, a data lever in particular. Uh, there's still a creative lever. There's still an audience lever, and there's still a budget lever. And those are really the core four. And when you think about solidifying down to those four, you start to go. Well, where are you going to lean in? Because ultimately, yes, you need you need all four. But I think the data piece is going to inform all of these because it'll give you intelligence around your audience. It'll give you intelligence around your creative. It'll give you intelligence around what your investment level should be. So it's really a do or die moment. And and I think when 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 you present it to folks like that, they do lean in a bit more. And for what it's worth, tools like ChatGPT, Code Interpreter, I think are helping democratize this. Historically, where it was, well, I like data, but I'll be honest, I'm afraid of SQL. That is no yeah. longer, it, it, you know, it, it, it's an issue still for some, but it, it, it's becoming less of an issue. It's, it's one of those things where you go, we can overcome that. Like, it, it's like uh, I can speak with anyone in a different language using Google Translate on my phone in real time. That is so cool. I am no longer, not. I was never afraid of going to like, you know, Germany or I speak German, but I was never afraid of going to like France, but it was hard. And so now I'm like, I have a translator and they now have a data translator through the form of large language models. Yeah. That I think is, is part of this combined with that catalyst moment of figuring out that data is so important, I cannot afford to sit on the sideline. Absolutely. I love this, these tangents that we're going down. Like we, we're going yeah. down these sort of minor rabbit holes and that's great. Uh, but kind of pulling this back to building data teams, like we've talked about, yeah. like who's that first hire? What does it look like? We have the the doers, the wooers, and the gluers. I love that. I'm going to use yeah. that. Um, so as you start to kind of go beyond that first hire, um, you know, what what are the next five or ten? What does that look like? How do you think about you know when you're trying to think about you know building a, a division or a team? And yeah, you need a, you need five or ten people on your team, and you have you know some ideas about what you need to accomplish. How do you how do you think about that um, in terms of do you think in terms of titles, in terms of um, levels of experience? Um, what what comes first? Are you looking for senior people or junior people? Or are you kind of training up? How does that go? Yeah, I I think um, I've had I, I've I've tried I've tried all of these. Uh, <laughs> I've tried lots of different approaches to this, right? Because I think sometimes when when you do get folks who are more senior, um, there are perhaps some expectations of like, well, that work. I wouldn't say people have an ego about it, but maybe that work is below them at times, right? And mm -hmm. so you're like, yeah, I know you're a senior level resource, but I do need you to be doing some of the basic stuff right now. And the reality is if you can do this in a really great way and start to uh, productize this or, or start to processize this and put put some guardrails around it, then we can start to replicate that function. We can start to to, you know, to, to build downstream from you there. Um, I, I do like to, to really bucket it into, I guess what I frame the core three being the analytics engineering um, reporting functions and uh, marketing science enablement. So it, it really is, I guess, if we go one layer higher, it's data enablement and data utilization. So data enablement is all predicated on just like how are we getting the data in, how are we transforming and streamlining, and then ultimately how are we making this accessible? And then of course, data, util data utilization is all predicated on making the um, making the move to to get to derive the the intelligence and, and make decisions. So when I think about those, those next few hires, if if I've got um, if I've got some good data uh, uh, structures uh, in terms of you know having my first hire there be focused on bringing bringing in the data, being able to capture that data, having someone who can run the BI lead, I think is is very important. But I would actually look at that um, oftentimes through the lens of getting a data analyst with a BI background first. I would bring in that data analyst with a BI background and go help us figure out how you want this data to be structured. Uh, we're not going to look at you to run and maintain everything here, but really help us draw out this diagram. So. This is, I think, part of the crossing the chasm because when you talk about like billable out or like, you know, revenue per head and those kind of things, sometimes you have to look at this and say, we're not going to have necessarily the right revenue per head to make a double hire in, in this scenario. But the effect of having b uh, both a, a data analyst and a BI engineer together coming on is going to be a, it, that, that's our rocket ship. That, that, that is our, our moment that allows us to really cross that chasm. So yeah, I, you, I would look at having do the, those. Wanna, yeah. Yeah. You want to do it right the first time. And yeah. uh, like if you hire one person now, because that's what, you know, you, you've been given budget for and you hire right. that data engineer and they're doing all the data collection. And then they say, okay, yep. now you can hire the data analyst. And they come in and say, oh, you need to completely redo all of that. And that's like, yep, yeah. Yep, yep. So yeah, it takes a little bit of, you know, you need to explain to 
the people who are giving you the money <laughs> to hire. Right. Like this yeah. is going to work out better if we just hire both of these at the same time. I realize it's going to be more of a cost center early on, but it's yeah. going to pay dividends later on and it's going to make it for and, a faster, I, better solution. Absolutely. And, and I think you can get financially creative with that too. You know, th there are lots right now in particular, we are at such an interesting point. There have been so many layoffs and, and I think they, they've really impacted the data space. I think I've seen more data leaders like yourself, folks who are so incredibly intelligent in this industry, starting their own companies in the last year than I've seen in the, in the, in the previous 10. What this tells me is that there is an abundance of talent available in a contractor capacity. And the way that we've thought about these teams historically is it's, 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 it's able to change. It's able to shift. And, and we can start to look at this and say, what if we do bring on some intelligent contractors who can, who can help us out in, the, in, the, in these areas? And ultimately, one of the hard questions that I, I often get is, well, how do you hire your first data scientist? You're not a data scientist. I'm like, yeah, I know, I know. It's a hard one, right? Like, how do, how do, I, how do I know these folks aren't just like selling me snake oil? Um, and and, and that, is, that is a hard one. But the way to do it is to have data science allies and to have folks out there that you, you trust that, you know, in this scenario, like a, a data science contractor that, is, that has some, some cool knowledge here, that can, one, help you bring on the right resource, but two, help you build that architecture for that person to come into. So you aren't just like hiring data scientists and going, now what? And the data scientist is going, I don't know. I don't have any data. I don't have any infrastructure. Uh, I can tell you what I think we need to do, but yeah, quite honestly, I'm not in uh, infrastructure, right? And so I think that that that's that, that, that's sort of like that that core mindset of yes, we can use contractors, and then when you talk about more junior folks, that is when I think you can bring on those more junior folks, and sometimes that those are honestly really smart hires because they aren't necessarily jaded or forced to think in a certain way. And for what it's worth, some of the best hires that I've made historically have not been in the marketing space. They've actually come from areas like I hired a, a guy uh, Manuel who's awesome. I hired him. Uh, he was a um, a professor at USC. Uh, he's, he's a PhD in econometrics and he would teach there. And part of his thing was, I would love you to come and teach with me. And so I'd go down and speak to his class. It was just, it was a lot of fun as he was learning about marketing too, but he was bringing all these other ideas. And when we started talking about Shapley values, he's like, oh, I know Shapley values. And I was like, <laughs> yes, give me the masterclass. Let's go. And then the next data scientist I had was a cancer researcher. And we were, as we were talking to him, I was like, you know, we like to think a lot about anomaly detection and like, uh, you know, better understanding uh, variants. He's like, well, I do uh, variants and anomaly detection in cancer cells. I'm like, well, you can't afford to be wrong. Like you must have <laughs> incredible acumen. He's like, yes, well, here's how we do it. And so I looked at that and said, that is an amazing skill set to be able to bring into this field where historically we may have focused more on, hey, it's good to have the marketing context. I'm like, yes, but it's even better to have this diversified scope. And so like one of the things I like to do is, I like baseball. I like to I like to think about baseball statistics, sabermetrics, right? And so I like to say, are there things from sabermetrics that we can bring into digital marketing? Like, what about this idea of war, wins above replacement, right? For intergenerational player comparisons. Well, that is something we could absolutely be using for things like profit above replacement as we think about, uh, you know, should you be running a Black Friday sale every year? I would honestly go out there and tell most brands, no, you should not. You acquire customers who love a good discount and they will never come back. These are very bad users and you're paying more to get them. Is this a good time of year for you? And you're like, well, our revenue is high. And you're like, doesn't matter if revenue is high. Your margin is, in the, is, 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 is tanking. And those are the kind of conversations you can start to have when you think about, I guess, outside of the digital marketing box of the type of analysis that you can bring to the table by hiring people with, I think, far more diversified backgrounds. That's so interesting. So one of the, one of the, uh, this is a perfect segue into the, the next question that we were going to talk about. Maybe you were just beating him, beating, beating me to the bush, um, <laughs> to the punchline, I guess. Um, beating you to the bush. Yeah. I, 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 I think I mixed my, the bush. I mixed my, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there's I like some, it. some analogy with the bush. Yeah. I don't know. Two hands two, in the two bird birds is worth one in the, I can't I again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what was I saying? Yes. The next topic. Uh, so, I love the yeah I do love the idea of like hiring outside of of marketing right looking at, yeah. at economists and and cancer researchers who like mm -hmm. you know there's there's so many industries where if they were employed in the marketing space they would be called data scientists but mm -hmm. because they're researching cancer they're a yeah. cancer cell biologist or whatever the title yeah. is right they they happen to do all the same things that data scientists do and they know mm -hmm. all the same statistics and methods and and they're using R or Python and all working with big data sets and all this, but that's just because that's how they have to do their job, right? And right. Um, so they know the data side of it, but they maybe not maybe aren't as familiar with the marketing side. Um, you seem to be saying that like that's probably okay. Are are you saying that you're you're able to kind of teach them the marketing side of it enough to where they can 
translate that to do effective work on the data side? Or have you found cases where, and I'm, I'm kind of just thinking back into my own past several years where I've beat my head against a wall <laughs> trying yeah. to explain to, to an analyst how Google Ads works and why yeah. what, they're, what they're proposing makes no sense because they just fundamentally don't understand how the marketing works. Yeah, I, th I think what I found is that one, they have to want to learn to fish, right? Like, you, you, and I think it's something you have to establish fairly early on. Is like, look, I, I know you're coming from this non-traditional uh, or, or non—not even non-traditional, just non-marketing background. As we think about um, your your growth here, uh, it is going to be predicated on your on your sort of on, on your core subject matter expertise. And what I like to do, though, as part of that, is also say, teach me about your field, teach me about what you do, and use that as a, almost, I guess, a reverse analogy for them. Because when I'm hearing things that they work on, I'm going, okay, so that's sort of like how this thing works in digital marketing. And then using that as, a, as you know, they basically form a relational uh, analogy in their head. In addition to when I you know, earlier I was talking about the, the nature of building allies across different departments, send these folks into other departments. Say, hey, you've got an, you're, you're onboarding some, some new PPC managers. Could you onboard my data scientist for a week as well? And just have them roll through it. And it does. It takes a little bit longer, but it is an incredibly worthwhile exercise because all too often we'll come at things from such a high level and start explaining the most complex aspects of here's how Google search actually works. And, you know, if you're learning PPC for the first time, that's not what you're learning. You, uh, you, you know, you're getting into the very basic idea of pay-per-click advertising, and then you start talking about how an auction works, and then you 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 build out from there in terms of the the, the messaging, the importance of a message, the importance of a bid, uh, regional diverse, all all these pieces that I think we as data folks aren't necessarily that great at explaining to others because. I don't know, it's like riding, explain to me how to ride a bike. Oh gosh, I don't know how to do that. But uh, I mean, I know how to do it. I would just butcher it. it it's so hard. I'm like, well, you, you sit on a bike and you start pedaling. I have skipped 50 <laughs> steps in that scenario. But there are people out there who are trained to teach people how to ride bikes and they break it down. It's like when I was learning to drive a car and I got into the car and my dad was like, okay, now take your foot off the clutch and accelerate. And I did that and I stalled. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, that there has to be more to this. What are you not telling me about this? Because it's just not clicking. Then when I had a, an actual um, driving instructor, they took they taught me about like they drew diagrams. They're like, there's a bite point on the clutch, right? When that bite point hits, and you'll feel it. It'll kind of come up a little softly. Don't be afraid to stall, but it'll come up softly. Then accelerate. And I got this motion. I was like, thank God. It was so ridiculously simple, but it, it took. Uh, this other person saying, I know how to break this down into four more steps for you to really give you the context. Because when you can teach someone to think like a digital marketer, then you don't need to teach them all the concepts. They just sort of you know, intrinsically or intuitively are able to adapt to these as, as, they, as they learn more about the industry. Yeah. Yeah. Anytime you can give analogies or yes. stories or painting a picture, like, like, you know, a lot of, a lot of data analysts or data scientists or yeah. you know, people who are so you know, expert level and depth into the tool. Right. Like they, they can either speak at the very highest high level or at the right. various, you know, completely in the weeds, but it's hard to kind of hit that middle ground of like, you need, you well, need a Bob you Ross. Yeah. 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 A, so, a Bob Ross of data essentially is, is you know, the, 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 exactly. the, the painter who just like, like paints beautiful and you're like, yes, how do I paint that? That's exactly like right there in the sweet spot. We just need some more happy little trees in our lives. We do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, Simon, uh, this has been an incredible conversation, um, and I hate to wrap it up, but you know we are getting know. Uh, close to the close to the hour here. Um, one thing uh, I have started doing here, I've stolen something from the Analytics Power Hour and renamed it. They like to do oh. the last call. They do. I like to do the last click. Oh, it fits the whole, you know, like I like it. Click, absolutely, you know, yeah, 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 contribution, absolutely. Um, I like to the, do the, um, I like, well, I don't know, uh, I like to do the linear. No, uh, it, <laughs> <laughs> well, linear would be, uh, I think Tim Wilson. He always has multiple things to share at the end, so you'd have to. That's right, <laughs> linear attribution there. But no, we're we're only last click. Only one uh, one thing gets credit. So what would be yeah. one thing? Uh, and this could be, you know, a, a book you've read recently, a blog post, a a podcast you've listened to that you got some uh, some nugget of wisdom or mm. um, you know a, a newsletter, a, 
uh, a tool that you use that you have just really started to enjoy or some, gotten some good use out of? Anything that you think our, use, our listeners would be like, oh, that's really helpful. I should go do that right now. Yeah. Well, you know, I think we were, um, before today, we were even, we, we were talking about um, high touch. And, and, and I don't think the concept of composable CDPs is that foreign to, to the audience that you'll have listening. Um, but high touch has, has recently uh, integrated some enrichment functions in their identity onboarding solution. And so as we, you know, when you think about bringing an audience to a platform, we either think of going direct or, or um, you know, going through like a live RAM, for example. Um, high touch is looking to take some of that market share. And, and I think when we think about the elements of uh, composable CDP, I am, I, I'm infatuated with high touch right now. So I, that's what I'm playing around with a lot right now. just thinking about how are we moving data between systems. And, you know, as you think about the sort of, we talk about like the sort of death of the cookie and I'm like, yeah, well, it's not quite like it's complicated. Uh, no, but, but when, when you think about the, the nature of, um, you know, in browser tracking and you think about all the challenges in our future, one of the sort of fairly clear future states to me is that we are going to reach a point where we will no longer have any ability to track within a browser environment. And there are so many organizations that are just not prepared for components of server side, but more broadly, just like how do you handle everything in an offline capacity? And I think that's where tools like high touch from a, um, from an audience onboarding point of view are going to become incredibly important to the modern data stack. And so uh, I'd say for folks out there, if you haven't already, go check out High Touch. It's really neat. I really like it. Um, I I'm, I don't know. I have no affiliation with them. Uh, I just really like their tool and uh, everything about them. So I'm I'm rooting for them to succeed. Awesome. Uh, I definitely yeah. have it on my list to check out uh, as soon as we stop recording. So I'd urge everyone else out there listening. Also, check out High Touch. Our uh, yeah. today's... Uh, the, the unsponsored for today's episode. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and uh, as, as Jim mentioned at the top, I, uh, I'm i super active in the in the um, data or the, the data analytics community. Um, I do sort of straddle this, this sort of weird world between um, PPC and you know, digital advertising, digital marketing, SEO folks, and digital uh, analytics. And oftentimes I'll hear conversations where they're like, where are all the analytics people? I'm like, they're over here. And they'll be like, where are all the paid media people? I'm like, they're over here. Why can't you see each other? Uh, that's, yeah, that's just the nature of like, you know, algorithmically driven social networks the point of this is i'm on twitter uh so or x i guess i'm on x uh, which sounds illegal to say (laughs) (laughs) um uh, so uh if you if you want to connect uh you can uh, connect with me uh s-p-o-u-l-t-o-n uh that's s polton that is my handle or i'm on measure slack uh and quite honestly i love meeting nerdy people that just want to chat about the challenges in our space and um you know i've always built my uh i my career is one that is built on the community that is around me, and I love finding folks who are just trying out novel, interesting things. So, if you if if you want to reach out, I'd love to have a conversation. Fantastic, thank you, Simon. Uh, I appreciate you coming on the podcast here and, and giving us yeah, well, thanks for having me. All of the knowledge that you shared, and uh, uh, appreciate. And your podcast is amazing. If, obviously, folks are listening to this episode, but if you haven't, go back and listen to every other episode. They are all killer. Every week, I'm, I'm messaging Jimmy like that was a killer one, and like I'm like. You sound like you're in analytics rehab. It's 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 great. It's good stuff. I'm sure Jim appreciates it. This is this is my uh, weekly therapy session. So I get to <laughs> yeah, get to complain and and you know cry on other people's shoulders about the, <laughs> the loss of data and third party companies and all that. So, but thanks uh, again, Simon, no, and uh, everyone thank else. You. Thanks for sticking around to the end. We will talk to you next week. Well, my friend, you've made it to the end of the show, which means you either found it so riveting you couldn't turn it off or you're out for a jog and you can't easily hit the skip button on your phone. Either way, if you've enjoyed this episode, please share it with someone you know who would find it helpful. And please, as a personal favor to me, go to iTunes or wherever you listen to this and leave a rating and review. That helps others find us, but more importantly, shows that you're a thought leader who cares about your craft and wants others to join this tribe. 